Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Well, Alan, we're live. Long time coming. How are you doing? Good, man. I appreciate you having me out. I'm so excited that we finally were able to put this together. Right? This is a good like thing. People, people go like, wait a minute, you guys both have shows. Why would you ever do stuff together? And it's almost like got to remind them that just because we do the same thing doesn't make us uh, not friends or we can't get together and jam out like we're going to plan on doing today. Exactly. Friends, friends you know? and uh you know, it's the old rising tide lifts all boats, right? We help each other out. We lift each other up. That's kind of like the essence of security, that no one can possibly ever do it on their own. Yeah. The bad guys lock arms all the time. If we don't, we're foolish. <laughs> that is uh, very, very true. Um, 
we get greetings from Paul Cummings over in Hop Jacksonville. Whew. It is July in Florida. Um, Heather's with us. Not much better here. Um, Heather's also in Florida, so I can definitely attest to that. And David's been looking forward to this. So we've been, uh, we've, I've been talking about, you know, our jam session all week. So I'm, I'm super psyched about it. Right on. So we've got a, um, one, we'll field your questions as they come along. This conversation, we have some structure, but it's very unstructured. It's, it's, you guys get to pick our brains. We get to share with you what we're thinking. We're going to talk a little bit about kind of what's been top of mind all week long around patch management and why do we have so many patches and softwares and, and is that the future of, of you know, is what's going on for security practitioners? We'll talk a little bit about our top of mind for the rest of this year as things uh, go into normal and stay tuned to the end of the show because we're going to have a hat off. My hat's staying miss. on. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I've invested so much in my hair, right? Like, it's very hard for me to wear hats anymore. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. Every morning it's, I it's, wake it's, up, I have to choose hair product or hat. Can't have both. Yeah, I know. And, and you know, I'll be wearing my hat towards the end of the show. I think it'll be really cool. Right um, John Delacruz says, two of my favorite podcasters. Thank you, John. Well, John Delacruz um, is one of my favorite people. So that all works out. Yeah, we won't ask him to rank who's number one and who's number two. We'll just both agree that, you know, it's 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 awesome. Heather says, James, that hat is magnificent. It is star spangled awesome. Um, good morning to Bob and hey to Kevin joining us as well. Welcome, folks. All right, so let's talk a little bit about let's talk a little bit about patch management, right? So one of the one of the big knacks around security practitioners, right, as CISOs is, well, you got to know how to run patching. And this week, I mean, on the practitioner brief, I believe on Wednesday, um, Oracle had 342 security patches in one release. Yep. Which begs the question, and I got asked, but I mean, I was outraged by it myself, right? I'm like, what have you guys been doing, Oracle? Like, I wonder if they just, you know, like either were you that far behind or did you guys just all decide that we're just going to overwhelm the entire system with 342 patches simultaneously in one release? Yeah, I've seen, I've seen a lot of approaches and, and having been on the product side myself, um, there's a few factors that might contribute to that kind of a, a phenomenon, right? One of the first ones is uh, security oftentimes from a product perspective gets lumped into batch, like we'll do the security release kind of thing. Uh, so that, that, that may be one explanation. Another explanation is um, they've been whittling down their highs and, and criticals, got through them, and now you're seeing the mediums. And, of course, there's always a ton more mediums, right? Or, or maybe they got through the highs, mediums, and, and whatever, and you're into the lows now. Uh, that, that volume increase, that sudden volume increase can certainly be from the mediums, right? That's another factor. And another factor is just, hey, this cycle, this is what was found. And a bunch of them aren't that consequential. But you know what? We fixed what we found because we're on top of it. We're caught up on our backlog. And and, and so here we go. So that's that's another reason it could be. Uh, and then, of course, yeah, there's the fourth of, reason of, oh, my God. Um, <laughs> well, out of 342, 50 were critical. Okay. So, I mean, by all means, I think that's – that's it's, it's, it's a bit excessive. Um Edward um, brings up a very interesting point, and I'm not an Oracle customer, so I wouldn't know this. 
Yeah. Um, but that really isn't uncommon in Oracle's quarterly patching cadence. Interesting. So, so okay. It could be the attack surface is that big and this kind of stuff just surfaces on the regular, right? I mean, that, that is possible that, that 50 crits appear every time because it's just such a huge and complex attack surface. Keep digging, you'll find 50 more crits, right? Possible. I'm sure, I'm sure you, very, very true. But if we kind of take away, if, you know, I'm using Oracle as an example, I'm not picking on them, right? Yeah. I mean, because, you know, Microsoft last week patched used that thing that had like 70 some odd vulnerabilities yeah. that, that yeah. needed to get patched. I mean, we, we, we see those, but that number's been steadily increasing. And I think I'm more aware of it because I do the practitioner brief every morning. Mm-hmm. So as I'm doing the practitioner brief and I'm seeing the stories and I'm starting to like look at my notes from last month to this right. month and I'm starting right. to say, wow, we're steadily going up in patches. So one of two things are happening. Either we're getting very good at identifying vulnerabilities and patching them or our software development, our SLDC is so broken that we're just deploying stuff out in the wild and we're saying we're, we're doing something that you and I used to talk about three years ago, right? Which is, you know, put it out, then call in security. Right. And that right. seems very outdated. Yeah. What, what's your thoughts on that, Alan? Yeah, it's possible it's SDLC. It's possible it's methodology. Um, but I'm, I'm going to go on the positive side and, and reinforce again that, that the complexity of software, the attack surface of modern software, you know, with Windows, you're talking about an entire operating system. You're talking about, a, you know, 10,000 places to poke in and out. And if there's 10,000 places in and out, then, then there's probably going to be, you know, 72 crits. Um, so some of it is just complexity and, 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 the, and the size of software. It's not like Oracle is getting smaller every release. It's not like Microsoft Windows is getting smaller every release, right? They're adding all these features and, you know, every, every new iteration, there's a whole bunch of new stuff. So, so that could be part of it. That's the positive perspective. And then the negative perspective, I think, to your point, um, catch the security early and often does not seem to be the paradigm when that many are hitting the streets, right? I'm in full agreement there that we could definitely be as a whole, as an industry, you know, anybody cranking out software and technology can most definitely be improving how they're catching that stuff before it goes live. And, and a lot of this ties into CICD with proper security hooks, uh, what their deployment methodology is like. You get into solar winds and the fact that even the code signing is its own critter, you know, in an ideal universe, your CI/CD environment is divided up in multiple groups. You know of of you know what dev stead you know dev staging prod, uh, code signing should be its own entity. And when I say groups and entities, I'm referring to literally identity and access management should be different for each of them. Uh, the bad guy shouldn't be able to steal one identity and touch all four environments. You know that kind of thing. So SDLC with true CI/CD with proper security protocols. Pretty hard to come by. Not everyone's doing it that way. It's still a pretty rare phenomenon, I think. So I think that's a contributing factor as well. Yeah, Heather has a has a pretty interesting question. So could you argue that all patches are critical? Genuine question. Um, I think it's the nature of it, right? There's usability patches that are strictly usability right. that won't impact security whatsoever. And I'm going to argue that the criticality of those is literally based on, you know, product marketing, product management's assessment of what the user experience is and should be. So criticality is going to vary there. For security, uh, a small one, you know, it goes back to CBSS, V2, V3, pick your favorite. Um, you're, you're looking at impact, likelihood, vectors, possible means of exploitation, et cetera, et cetera. If I've got an exploit that has minimal repercussions that can only be done local to the box, I'm not going to call that critical. Not, not when I've got other stuff that, that has bigger, bigger impact and can be done across the Internet, right? So, so I'm not, I'm not going to agree with that one just because I know for a fact there's, there's bigger problems uh, and, and easier ways to 
trigger those bigger problems in some situations versus in others. Yeah, there's a common misunderstanding, I think, and a common, mis- not misunderstanding, but maybe a misconception around patching, which is the CVSS uh, score that's given by the vendor of that patch, make it a 9.1, a 10, or a 7.8, dictates that it's the same CVSS score for everyone. Right, and right. I argue that that's not the same, not right? Because the way I implement and integrate something into my environment could make a 2.3 low criticality patch extremely critical for me because of the way I use or deploy a product or a software within my environment. Right. I think the right. CVSS scale to me is, um, is 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 a bit confusing for the unaware eye. Right, like you and I think I think CISOs who are who are within our our level of expertise, Alan, would look at this and possibly go, "Well, it's a ten, but is it really a 10? Right, right. So it's very very critical, maybe because it's got a, a remote code execution aspect to it, right? Like like it's it's got some level that it could be exploited remotely without authentication. Right, Th- right that's right. extremely critical. Right. right, but other things are not as critical as as one would make them seem like, and sometimes those CVSS scores could be very misleading. Yeah, no, full agreement. You know, from a from a production environment kind of perspective, it could be something as simple as, yeah, but we've got a CDN and a WAF in front of it, right? And so, yes, right. out there wild on the internet, it's a it's a 10.0, but behind oh. a CDN and a WAF, it suddenly drops to a 2.0 for us. Uh, from a product perspective, inheriting third-party vulnerabilities from things like Linux, you know, open source, you know, libraries, whatever, Apache, Struts, you know, pick whatever you want. They could come out and say, we've got a 10.0. And then you realize, yeah, but for me, it's a 2.0. I don't expose the APIs or, you know, whatever it is. Right. So whether you're talking product, whether you're talking environment, there's always mitigating local controls that'll override that CVSS score. And that should always be considered and always calculated. Yeah. So we've we've got some people definitely supporting uh, what we've just said, including David, who says critical patches vary depending on your environment. Yep. What's critical for others may not be critical for you or vice versa. Exactly. You need to understand your risk service. This is by hey, Chris. Hey, Thank, you so <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris. Um, Heather has a question. Do you think that the world going remote, if we can set aside the increase in ransomware for a moment, affected patching, made it more difficult? Maybe not. What, what's your take on that, Alan? Oh, I think so. I think so. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna quote uh, my old boss, Steve Williams from NTT. Um, he's got a great paradigm, like, you want to talk about like being the CISO and selling upstairs and trying to trying to outline why you need a framework or whatever you might need. He's got this reduced three-step framework. It's brilliant. See it, manage it, secure it in that order. Uh-huh. If you don't see it, you can't manage it. If you don't manage it, you can't secure it. And so patching obviously falls into that. First of all, you have to see it before you can even manage it. Manage it, to me, patching would be part of the management cycle. And with everybody scattered to the four winds, are you literally seeing everything you need to see, right? And that's the real challenge. I think the the distributed workforce, if you weren't ready for it, if you didn't have SASE, if you didn't have VDI and, and, and you know, non-split tunnel VPN and all the other goodness you might need, if you didn't have secure management solution already installed and agents and EDR and all this kind of stuff, there's plenty of stuff out there that isn't getting patched because you don't even know it's there. Yeah, you're, um, uh, the, I think ransomware is one aspect of it. Um, the other part is mm, so many companies weren't prepared for work from home. I mean, and it literally, we weren't given notice that we're going on lockdown and no one can be in the office. This kind of developed within less than a week. Mm-hmm. Right? So it, it, it's very hard to look at this from a perspective of a company's direction. So some companies had the hybrid mode already in place, right? You had yep. the traveling salesmen, the traveling executives, 
So you had some of this stuff already set up for those people. So all you were worried about was scalability. Yep. And a lot of organizations where we'll never work from home, everyone's going to always work from the office. That's not even an option. And those companies were the ones that got really hammered. Yep. Um, yeah. When COVID hit, I, I literally saw a thousand stories and, and it was the full spectrum from not ready at all to, right. oh, we were already doing this. No change to us whatsoever. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the maturity of an organization. Nate says, what's up? Um, Edward says, need to take into account compensating controls when determining overall ratings and associated risk. Exactly. That's on point. Anthony agrees with our previous statement. Matt Lee goes on to say, agree it takes an understanding of the mechanism and what the race conditions need to be for execution. Yep. Um, Edward gives you a bingo and good point. So that's awesome. Let's see. Who do we have here? Um, this is Heather. So she says, um, good point about the CVSS score being the same across. It's not the same for each place. Uh, neat to learn. Happy we're able to expand some of these misconceptions because there's so much of it in security. Um, and unfortunately, some of it is is driven by people who are just trying to sell um, something rather than really try to solve a bigger piece of the problem. CPAT says, at a fourth, understand it. What business processes are yeah. at risk if there is a failure? I like that. See it, understand yeah. it, manage it, secure it. Like, know what the heck it is. I like that. Yeah. I mean, if, if you if you know what it is and you understand it, a lot of times patching, too, is extremely difficult. And it's, it's a very complex uh, piece of it. We were talking, I believe it was yesterday, um, and – one one of the discussions around you know patch management where we're doing it on CISO Thursdays yesterday right was stakeholders in your vulnerability management team how many people are stakeholders if you're not on the patching side but you're the side that's issuing the patch mm -hmm. or deploying the patch how many stakeholders do you have at the table when you're about to deploy all of these different patches going out right Right. And my question is, how many people have customer success sitting at the table with their vulnerability management team? That's a real good question. I've, I've been on plenty of change management committees, um, and it's always interesting to me that it's the uh, it's the representative democracy approach, right? Like like whoever the real stakeholder is isn't in the room. You've got somebody who's actually right. one of your own advocating on behalf of it. Oh, yes, well, I know for a fact they use this module and we could possibly this thing and that thing. And it, it, that representative approach um, oftentimes gets you in trouble. It really does. And yet it seems to be a consistent model. Um, I see it everywhere I go. And I, I love the idea of, hey, marketing is going to be impacted. Let's bring the person from marketing who uses this tool and sit them down in the room as we talk about what we might be doing to this system this week. Right. Or if we're patching a system that's a critical part of our operations, why isn't customer success, sales, and business operations here? Right, right, right. All including, of them. including external marketing that's mm -hmm. going to communicate to the fact that our system's going to be down uh, Saturday night from 1 a.m. to mm -hmm. 5 a.m., mm -hmm. right, to get things done. Yep. Like that's that's a very, I want to say, it's, it's, it's a very common thing that shouldn't be uncommon we should have these stakeholders in the room when we're having these conversations uh, uh, yep absolutely and that communication has to go out and and i've usually worked in shops where security it the folks that do these big patches are empowered to send out those company wides but they always bounce them off the internal communications people you know make sure make sure it's legit make sure it's got no spelling and grammar errors make sure it, it's in line with messaging we would like to be sending out etc 
Um, bringing those folks in is always important. Right. But I think the modern CISO, right? And I hate to use the word term modern CISO, but I think a modern CISO, if you're in a company that provides a SaaS as a service or an infrastructure or platform, mm-hmm. you've got to be intertwined with your sales and customer success oh, folks. Yes. Like, yes, they've got to be in your DNA because yep. as you're patching, those are the people who you're going to say, those are the people who I need to advocate for me to get a patch done. They're going to mm-hmm. say, hey, our customers won't have a problem if we do this all day Saturday because really none of them use the platform on a Saturday. Right, you right. Go, Wonderful. We, and they're going to communicate it. They're going to be there. They're going to get the customer uh, logging in Saturday night after we're done to make sure everything works so we can fix stuff and not come in Monday morning to a world that's broken down in communications. Yeah, it's it's important too to to bring them in not just for the warning and the implications and hey before we do this what you know how should we do this to to minimize impact to you but they're also your strongest champions right? right the odds are great that those folks in the field actually using the thing really 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 want to not be insecure and not have their stuff hacked and they're a voice that can chime in beforehand to prioritize patching and say hey we the users of the system we want this thing patched. Oftentimes they're your strongest allies and not your strongest enemy, which is, you know, that traditional non-modern CISO view set, you know, as, uh, oh yeah, well, uh, they're, they're going to want to keep it up 24 seven and they won't want us to patch They're anti-security, blah, blah, blah. No, very often they're your champions. Yeah. They're the people who, by the way, will earn um, you some of the kudos you need upstream towards the mm-hmm. executive leadership. Like, wow, security is really supporting our sales efforts. They're mm-hmm. really made an effort to streamline some of the processes when mm-hmm. it comes to shortening the sales cycle. Like security is an integral part of that. And yeah. I speak to so many of our peers and you hear about it so often, right? Yeah. Um, our sales cycle extends by three months because we got to do security. Yeah. And that's a problem. That's a challenge. That's a, that's something that we've got to resolve. And so security can go in and you can take a six month sales cycle and with the help of security, shrink it to four Mm -hmm. by all means, you're a business hero. You're going to get any money you ask for. You're going to have more grace and the salespeople are going to be grateful because they're getting commission and they're hitting their quotas two months earlier than what they would have in a traditional environment. Yep. I'm I'm a big fan of always knowing what the business objectives are, uh, including those, you know, tactical objectives, if you will, that, you know, more like the quarterly goals or the annual goals, even, you know, things like CEO declares go to market acceleration is a thing. All right, fine. Let's get security on board. And to your point, we can enhance and speed up and, and complement that business goal of go to market acceleration. Uh, we're going to yeah. expand into Europe. Okay, fine. Watch security being on the forefront of expanding into Europe. All those business goals, there's ample opportunity for us as CISOs to, to jump in there and, and, and feed that, accelerate it, turbocharge it, kick it into overdrive, speed it up, enhance it, improve it, uh, grow the revenue, grow the speed. Um, all those opportunities are there. And if we're not taking advantage of them, we're just, we're just silly. Yeah. So Ed brings up a really good point here that when communicating the risk, we avoid FUD, mm-hmm. which is a very big deal when it comes to confidence within an organization, the confidence mm-hmm. that people have in us as security people. Yep. When we're communicating, they're not wondering if we're the secret layer right. of, <laughs> of right. people. Uh, James McQuiggan goes on to say, always good to work with marketing and communication people. Yeah. I think, uh, Modern CISO, your internal uh, marketing and communication and HR teams are some of your best friends, right? Because they can help you really uh, communicate some of the stuff you're trying to do in security better. And sometimes if we have an issue communicating things in layman terms, you get the communication and marketing people in a room, right? Give Mm -hmm. them a little bit of pizza and a six pack of beer. 
if your organization allows you to do something along those lines. And you'll you'll get a great message going around security uh, rather than the uh, the FUD one. Matt Lee goes on to say, amen, James, in uh, the modern integrated CISO. What, what are your thoughts kind of, because Alan, really, you've been doing this for, for quite some time and you're, you've kind of been through all the different stages. How, how have you seen that kind of role evolve and kind of maybe change top of mind going forward for CISOs? Yeah, I think I think the modern CISO, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm with you. We're, we're, we're using this term <laughs> with a little bit of a grain of salt, but uh, yeah. the modern CISO, right? Um, you're much more of a business entity in the organization than you are a security technology entity. That's rule one. Um, you you can't be tech stack guy walking into the the, the C suite, walking into the boardroom, walking into even just your peers' offices. You've got to be a business person first. Um, one of the first things I do when I land in a new shop at CISO is I run around and meet everybody, meet my peers, meet all the VPs and the SVPs and the EVPs and anybody who's got any chunk of the business they're doing and running. And what do you do? How does it fit into the big picture? Uh, what are your business goals? You know, specifically for your organization and department, how do those fit into the big picture business goals of the entire organization? Here's what I do. Here's what I'm about. Um, and I'm here to align with you and work with you. And obviously, I've got my own security mission. But, you know, let's have those conversations. So lead with that. Lead with questions, not with answers. Meet everybody. Learn them. Learn the business. Learn what the heck they're doing. And then slowly and gradually begin to share your stuff as you as you start to score some wins. And every early win you score has to be aligned with these these goals and objectives and, 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 and mechanisms and organizations that you gleaned and learned about in that first interview process. You are interviewing the business to start. Then you're coming back around and saying, I also am the business. And here's where my part of it is. But start with the questions, not with the answers. That's always number one for me. Yeah, listen more than you talk. I think, you know, we talk about the first 90 days of a CISO, writing a new role. And I think the first 90 days, you should listen 90% and talk 10. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And your talk 10 is the questions you're asking mm -hmm. and the observations you're making. Yep. That's it. But, and even I would even caveat that with the observations you're making. I don't even make the observations until I've done the full lap. Right. And then on my second visit, I'll be like, hey, you know, guy in marketing that I met three, three weeks ago, and now I've talked to sales and everybody else. It's interesting. Sales was saying X and you were saying Y. We've got a bit of a disconnect here. Like, I don't give the feedback until I've done one full lap. It's the full lap, and then it's the I like to call it the um, the the water cooler part yes. of it, which is what I miss the most. Security right? by walking that, around. Security by walking around by you know being next to the coffee machine um, and talking to someone, going like, "Hey, I'm you know I'm James. I'm the new CISO. So what do you do? Oh, what are you guys working on? What are some of the things you're uh, you know what what do you know about security? Well, tell me a little bit about some of the challenges you're going through. What are some of the concerns you're seeing and, and just having that, uh, you know, kind of like uh, uh, waiting for, for the curate to make the coffee while, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's that two minutes can give you more insight than an hour meeting with some people mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. because you, you're, you're hearing more from that foot soldier than you are from the person who may be, you know, in the office and, and getting reports from the managers rather than the people doing the work. Yeah. I, I quit smoking 10 years ago. Um, but once upon a time I was a smoker and, and I always found that the smokers area was the best place to learn what was really happening in the company because you had every, everybody from the guy in the mailroom on up to an SVP, everybody's there. 
you know, you never know who you're going to run into. It's every layer and tier of the company. And, and there's this common bond of, Hey, I'm out of cigarettes. Can I bum one? <laughs> and so everyone's equals and you learn all the inside scoop and the inside story, right? I, I, it's the one aspect of smoking. I regret having given up is, is it's an amazing pipeline into all tiers of the company, real world communication. That's honest. That's truthy. And that, and that's done in this kind of, we're all peers here kind of manner. Now, if you smoke the same cigarette as someone and you drink the same coffee, because you can't smoke a cigarette without a cup of coffee. Like, our, you know, when I used to smoke, and, and I remember early on in Israel, we used, I, we, you know, it'd be like, all right, smoke break time. Everyone would walk into the, you know, break room, make a cup of coffee, then we'd all walk downstairs, smoke our cigarette, drink our cup of coffee, and then come back up. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. in that time period, you get more intel of what's going on than anything else. Yep. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. So we've got some awesome comments here. Um, Heather says, I like your holistic approach and making sure you know your business goals as well, Alan. Um, that's, again, I think we call it the modern CISO, but I think that's the advancement of the role. Uh, this is why risk quantification in terms of money is important. Thanks, yep. CPAT, for that comment. Um, David agrees with you, Alan. He says, well said, Alan, integrating security and relationships throughout the business. Let me ask you this, Alan, kind of feeding off of David's uh, question, because I often ask a lot of our peers this. But how much of your time is actually in security and how much of your time do you invest in relationships? If it's done right in a large organization, and it's going to vary small, medium, and large, right? Um, I would argue that as the CISO, I would say 40% of my time is security and 60% is relationships um, and, and business. And maybe that's even a 70-30 split in a large organization. Smaller organizations, it's going to be a little bit more of a mixed bag. Oftentimes, it's the same conversation in one but in a large organization, I'm spending a lot more time talking to other folks about business objectives and drivers and goals than I am talking about security. Uh, security is something I bring around every now and again. So I'd say probably 70-30 really is more realistic than 60-40. You know, Rafiq launched the new system mind map, mm-hmm. right? The kind of uh, – the, the, the if you guys haven't seen it, it's, it's really, really good. I'll uh, put it in the show notes for today's episode. Um, so for those listening after the fact on your podcast listening platform, you'll see the link below. One aspect of it that I felt that really kind of highlighted the new kind of CISO mind map is how much business we have to know and be involved with in order to really excel in security. Mm-hmm. I think that's often, I think, I think that's one of the um, uh, misconceptions of being part of security. Yep. Yep. And, and, and there's a phrase that we hear all the time. Uh, there's a couple of phrases we hear all the time that annoy me. Uh, people say align with the business. People say be a business enabler. People say partner with the business. And every one of these phrases seemingly is speaking to how the CISO is better integrated, right? The reality is as long as we refer to the business as something besides ourselves, uh, there's a layer of integration not there. Uh, in other words, to summarize it even more simply, uh, Scott McCool, my, my former CIO at Polycom, says, be the business. You as the CISO are as much the business as the head of marketing, as the head of sales, as the head of engineering, as the head of whatever it might be. You're the head of security. Security is part of the business. All of you collectively sitting around the table are the business. Don't be a business enabler. Be the business. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a question from Nate that I think you and I can touch on a little bit. What advice do you have for business development people that are trying to reach out to you? I see a lot of CISOs complain about sales calls. What's your advice? Wow. Well, okay. So 
we both got our own podcast. Right? I'm Cyber Ranch. You've got all your shows. Um, and we talked about uplifting and sharing for the community. I'm going to tell you that particular question. Go head over to the CISO Vendor Security Relationship Podcast with David Spark and Mike Johnson. They've got a whole show on just this, CISO Vendor Relationships. Right. Uh, there's some great advice and some great stuff that comes out. For me personally, uh, I don't do cold calls. Uh, I don't do cold emails. Uh, that stuff literally just gets disappeared right away. Uh, if you go search my LinkedIn post, you'll see that way back historically, I, I, I resurface it once a year. Uh, I've got I've got a genuine uh, on LinkedIn. You're allowed to reach out to me if you're a vendor sort of approach. Uh, I try to schedule a couple of hours a week of vendor meetings. It's how I stay abreast of the industry, learn about new trends. Uh, I personally invite and welcome the vendors in, although I want them to come to me through LinkedIn, not through my my regular day job channels because those channels are already pretty stuffed. Um, that's me personally. I'm, I'm an oddball. Um, I actually like and welcome the vendor community. And I know that makes me weird for a CISO. <laughs> I don't, I don't think it does. I think, um, I will agree with you there. My approach towards vendor is vendors is very, very simple. Um, don't try to sell me in a cold call or a cold email. Mm -hmm. Like just don't make that your, your initial approach of, um, everything I do. I did a webinar earlier this week with someone where someone in the comments, uh, kept saying you guys are all wrong if you just used our product you wouldn't have the issue you're talking about right 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 and i said what a wonderful way to get your company on my seventh layer spam filter for email right so you know right. like you're going down seven layers that's the spam i never ever see not only do i never see it it gets blacklisted by our by our uh, by our uh, off Microsoft 365 guys who go okay it's in a seventh layer block this company yep. blacklist yep. their domain blacklist their IP right yep. like there's there's an aspect of this that I will say we understand that security is a partnership and we know that we can't do security and and, I, and I'm speaking on behalf of myself but I'm also including Alan here because we've kind of shared this a second ago. Um, we can't do security without vendors, without technology partners. Like we can't do it. Like there's not a way for us to do everything on our own. We need new technology. We want to be informed of what's happening and we want to be abrased to, to threats that maybe we're not seeing or quite comprehending yet how to defend. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we want an approach that isn't over the top. And so that human approach to speaking to a CISO of I do X do you, are you looking to solve problem X or is there someone else that I can speak about problem X? Maybe not necessarily you. I think most CISOs who have a big team, we have people who run separate parts of our security program and they're going to likely be a better address for you than mm -hmm. I am. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Like if you're selling so technology for a SOC, don't talk to me, talk to my SOC manager. Right. Right. He deals with it daily. I don't know what he needs until I meet with him once a week. And yeah. when I meet with them once a week, we've got 30 to 45 minutes and we're talking about our people or we're talking about, um, you know, the attitude in the SOC. What are some of the trends we're seeing cross departmental functions? What are yeah. some of the challenges? I'm not asking him, do you need a better SIM tool? Right, right, right. Unless he comes out and says it. Yep. And, and I'll go as far. I'll, I'll even take that a little bit further. One of the pieces of advice I always give vendors who are so dead set on getting to me, the CISO is, dude, I'm useless. Yeah. You know, I, I, you think because I got the CISO, I got the sale. No, the first thing I'm going to do is hand off to my lieutenants and deputies, to James's point, whoever the heck's in charge of that actual facet of it. If, if the guy that runs my tech stack comes back to me and says, this is a crappy Casby, I don't want it. That's it. Sales over. 
I'm not going to override him and go, well, yeah. but the sales guy won me over and I liked him and we had a great conversation. No way. If the guy using the tool doesn't like the tool, he's not buying it. If the guy using the tool does like the tool, then I'm going to try to go to bat and get it for him. Um, so yeah, I, I would argue the CISO is pretty useless in a sales cycle. <laughs> yeah. Like we're, we're the last people you want to, you want to, you want to, you know, wine and dine and shine to like, it's good to have relationships with us. Cause yes, mm -hmm. there are some vendors who I have, you know, you and I both have great relationships with some of our partners. I don't call them mm -hmm. vendors yep. because if, if you have the word vendor, by the way, in an email, you send me, you go to spam. Right. Right. I like, you're my security partner. I yep. like, that's how I'm going to treat you. And that's how I want yep. you to treat me. You're, you're selling, you're partnering with me to help secure my organization. You're not, you know, this, this, you're, you're, you're not selling me a license. Yep. Um, if no, if your exactly approach it. is selling licenses, then, you know, we're not going to have that conversation. Let's yep. get back on topic though. Great question by Nate. Um, and I hope we answered that for you. Um, CPAT says security should insert abnormal use cases as part of the design process early on. What are yep. your thoughts on that? Absolutely. And, and I'll go as far as to, uh, quote Gabe Lawrence over from Toyota. He was on my show a while back. Um, and he talks about the evil bit that, that the whole point of being a good security practitioner, if you're an engineer, if you're, if you're a hands-on security practitioner, you better have the evil bit. And the evil bit basically means I can look at a thing that was designed to do X and I can pretend I'm the bad guy. I can flip that evil bit and exploit the crap out of it and see if it'll do Y and Z and K and Q. And what happens if I do L and M and P and R and you have to, as a good security practitioner, always be challenging the status quo, always be poking sticks at the thing that didn't want sticks poked at it. And um, then as a, as a CISO rolling that up to the higher level and running the program, this is exactly it. Abnormal use cases have to be a part of this. It's absolute agreement. Um, Edward agrees with CPAT, says this can be handled with threat modeling with mm -hmm. abuse cases. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, one thing I will say about threat modeling is when you're patching, you know, we talked about patching earlier. I like to threat model when we're patching, especially when you think of what happened with Microsoft Exchange, mm -hmm. right? And we didn't know the depth of what was going on. We spent more time threat modeling um, than actually planning anything because yep. we were looking at, all right, here are some of the stuff that we know. But let's say I get past, here's what we know so far. Here's three stages of the attack we know. But you're not stopping them at three. They could have gone five, four, five, six, seven, eight. So what path would you take based on the first three? Mm -hmm. And when you get your team into that kind of exercise, let me tell you something. You bring out the best of your people mm -hmm. because you make them sharper and better. Everyone starts to listen to different ideas. People start to throw in different concepts. And we ended up, uh, I ended up dividing my team post SolarWinds and Microsoft Exchange we divided people up into teams. We had different teams come up with threat modeling. They then ended up presenting that to everyone. And then we all voted on what two paths were the best for our organization mm -hmm. to go down to investigate what we're doing. And when we did that, Alan, I got to tell you, buy-in. People from the different business units came into the threat modeling because mm -hmm. the, the mm -hmm. our, we were lively. Right. Yep. People were watching our, our, our people were lively. People wanted to get in. Well, you know, someone I spoke with, you know, we had people from marketing say someone we spoke with somewhere said this. Have you guys even considered this? Because we opened it up. We yep. did. We opened yep. it up because we needed the more eyes, the more brains, even the most inexperienced brain in security yep. can sometimes take you outside of that square that you live in, you yep. know, with the. Uh, I love certs. Don't get me wrong. And I, and, and I think degrees and education is important, but 
the, the diversity of thought is so critical. Yeah. Insecurity. Yeah. You can't have everyone say the same thing and think the same way yep. that I always try to bring different people from outside to Absolutely. just add a little bit different thought. Even if it's, even if it sometimes doesn't make sense, most times it works just perfectly. Yeah. That's, that's perfect, man. Purple teaming should include the entire org, not just the, not just the red and blue teams, right? Because at the end of the day, everybody is blue team. And to your point, everybody's probably got a red team idea or two as well. Right. And, and some of those are, 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 are better. Heather yeah. asks us, um, who are some of your favorite CISOs and why? Mm, interesting. Favorite CISOs. Let's see here. Uh, James Azar. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. He's awesome. <laughs> um, no, let's see here. Who are some of my favorite CISOs that I love to follow and listen to? Gary Hayslip, good friend of mine. Uh, Gary, CISO yeah. at Soft Bank Advisors. Awesome dude. Cranks out books like the CISO Desk Reference Series. Um, gives back to the community. Writes articles all the time. Gary is top tier. Uh, Anne-Marie Zettelmoyer over at MasterCard. Love her to death. Uh, Taylor Lehman, who's not a CISO at the moment. I think he's, um, he's transitioned temporarily into, uh, into the vendor side as have I. Um, and he's a fantastic CISO from the healthcare community. Uh, Malcolm Harkins, former CISO of Intel. There's, there's a million folks that I know and love in this community. I'm, I'm tight with a lot of CISOs. Uh, so I know just by naming the handful I did, I'm going to get three times that coming back and going, why didn't you name me? Um, but that's just off the top of my head, a few of them, um, that are some great folks. Yeah, there's a mention here for Naomi Buckwalter. Um, oh, yeah. That's from Nate. I will agree. Naomi's pretty awesome. Um, there's, oh, man, I, I will I will concur with Gary Hayslip. Mm-hmm. I think there's some a few people who are very low-key that a lot of people don't know about, but there's um, some great CISOs that I've had on the show. I think um, um, Paul Love out of Co-op, mm-hmm. um, really, really smart, underrated guy. He doesn't do a lot of thought leadership, but if he did, he would like – Every conversation I have with Paul is always like mind boggling. Um, um, He's great. Ross Young uh, Mm -hmm. over at Caterpillar. He has the CISO Tradecraft podcast. Mm -hmm. One of the smartest people out there. I mean, the guy's just able to, I mean, we were on a phone call yesterday and, you know, we're going through his GitHub page and I was just like, okay, great. I know where, where I'm sending my people to do some homework uh, over the next uh, three or four days. Right. Yeah. Like, thank you so much for doing that, Ross. He, he puts he out a lot he, he of material. A, he does. He does. He does. He does a great job. Um, uh, you know, internationally, though, there's a really good group of CISOs. Um, there's there's Ram uh, Dor out of Israel, um, who's who's just brilliant. Uh, Many Brazilai also out of Israel, like some really, really smart guys that that um, that that do some really good work. I think, you know, it's it's so difficult to name favorite CISOs because some of our favorite CISOs don't put out a lot of stuff. Like Gary Hayslip, I think, is the exception mm-hmm. to most of us because I think you, um, me, Ross, and and um, you know we kind of have our podcasts yep. and we, we put out a lot of content. But um, there's a lot of great CISOs. So we bring on the show once and there's just so brilliant. You're like, Oh, I wish I could do, I, I could do three or four with you. Yep. Tim, Tim Rohrbaugh over at JetBlue. One of those stories. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Marlis Rogers. Like I've met, I've met a ton of really good CISOs who were guests on my show, aren't regulars for doing this kind of thing, uh, but just brought some absolutely stunning insights and, and, and really good material. There's, there's a million and one. It's, it's like the iceberg thing, right? All the CISOs you know about are the tip. 
uh, and and there's way right. bigger body of of CISOs under that water than than the ones above, right? And and there's just a million and one good practitioners in this industry. I love meeting them all. Uh, I'm a big fan of joining all the little groups, the Slack channels, and the forums, and quorums, and horums, and dorums, and whatever else there might be, um, just to just to peer up and meet other CISOs and learn folks. You know, Christopher uh, Zell over at Wendy's, Chris Zell. There's just a million and one folks that I've met at conferences and things and latched onto and kept relationships with. And the whole community is great. The community supports itself, um, lift each other up kind of mindset. There's a million and one good CISOs yeah. out there. It, it's there. There is a million and one good CISOs. And I think that's part of when uh, an, uh, an organization goes through a breach you mostly see the the CISOs all kind of go to the defense or kind of reach out for support because we all realize what that's like. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It's um, it's really um, yeah. It, it 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 is really a, a community aspect of it. You know, uh, Larry and- says Chris is great. Um, Edna uh, yeah. over at Microsoft Azure. Um, David from uh, Z approved. Um, yeah, I mean, there's. It, I think we're forgetting so many people. Oh, like right? I was just thinking um, of Kirsten Davies over at Estee Lauder. She's an SVP CISO, one of the strongest and most right. business savvy CISOs I know. Yeah, you've got um, Lori over at Cardinal Health, Ron mm-hmm. Green at Mastercard. Mm-hmm. Um, Ron's really brilliant. Um, you know, the list goes on. Yeah, uh, literally the list goes on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve Williams and Dan Glass over at NTT, and yep. <laughs> yeah, I can. I tell you, I'm forgetting way more than I'm adding. Right, I could just keep going. Yeah, we're forgetting. We're forgetting a lot, and and there's some very smart ones. I think um, Sam Curry over at Cyber Reason. Yeah, uh, yep. really smart guy. Yeah, um, he, he you know he went to the vendor side, but but people kind of dismiss him because he's on the vendor side. But Sam is one of the very few vendor CISOs I follow and respect tremendously. And if I see a webinar come up with him. He's he's one of the few I actually want to go and listen to, because yep. he yep. brings it from a non-vendor perspective, which I think is critical. I wish yep. more vendors would do that. By the way, right. hire industry CISOs, but let us do our work, right? right. Let us do our work. Don't, don't make us salespeople. Yeah, don't us forget, engage, I'm a CISO. I'm a vendor CISO now too myself, right? I mean, technically I am. I know, um, but but, but, but I'm a practitioner CISO. You're, but but you're a different breed, right? Yep. You're the modern CISO. Yeah, let's let's be honest. I mean, you know, there, there's 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 aspects of. Um, um, one thing I will say, and it's a trend that's really bugging me, is if you go to LinkedIn and you look up, um, there's a bunch of open CISO roles. Some mm-hmm. of them are with vendors. And just so you know, I was looking at the ones on vendors. None of them are practitioners. They're all sales roles. Mm-hmm. They're just mm-hmm. given CISO titles to salespeople. And you're like, no, 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 no. You guys are going to ruin this. Like, yep. stop it. Like, you know, write those companies, please. Yep. Let's the first time I became a vendor CISO, um, I, I, was, I was both you know, internal and external, right? And and that was the phrase I had to learn. I would introduce myself as the CISO of this security vendor and everybody's question would be internal or external. Internal meaning real practitioner and external meaning sales guy, right? Um, and, yeah. and where I am, you know, I refuse to take a CISO role where I'm not a practitioner. I, I won't do it. I, I will always be a true practicing CISO even if I'm on the vendor side of the house. I will always be a true practitioner. Yeah. I think I think that's the most uh, difficult aspect for a lot of us. If we're practitioners, it's very hard for us to go any other way but to be hands on, because mm-hmm. the hands on is where all the drama is. It's where all the fun is. Yep. It's 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 you know whiteboarding a bunch of problems. Let's talk a little bit uh, with the time we have left uh, before we get to the best hat for the show contest. Um, but what are some of your top of mind? Um, 
challenges or items you're looking at towards the latter part. Now we're going into third and fourth quarter of this year. And um, it's um, th- things are, we're going into this, you know, normal of, of you know, the hybrid work model travel mm-hmm. is starting to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of your top of mind things, Alan? Going so forward? now that I'm where I am in a smaller, you know, vendor shop, right. I'm, I'm CISO at TrustMap now and, and I'm not at the big giant NTT data services I was, I was at last year. So the work from home aspects, the, the migration back to the headquarters, the, Offices were shut down and now they're reopening. Like all of that kind of stuff isn't really affecting me or or directly, you know, customer ways. It's not even affecting my customers. I mean, I'm sure it is, but not in a way that has implications for me. So that one has kind of just passed me by, right? Like now that I've transitioned from from the larger to the smaller shop, it, it's a non-issue for me. Um, what is top of mind is the fact that I'm seeing a, a huge uptick in um, compliance type activities in the sense of, I'm seeing more and more people coming to me and saying they're up against multiple frameworks, and I'm seeing more and more people say they're they're working off an, their own internal proprietary framework. And more interestingly, I'm seeing a backlash towards the frameworks and seeing uh, I've dubbed it the unframework. Um, Gary and I are actually uh, pitched a talk at RSA about this this idea of minimum viable security in the absence of any framework. Where you know, look at MITRE ATT&CK framework, and I'll uh, stop me if I'm rambling too long on this one. MITRE ATT&CK framework to me is is called a framework, but it's not really. What it really is is a kill chain database. I love it, by the way. It's a great tool. I think it's fantastic. I think every vendor who onboards and incorporates it is doing us all a good service. I think MITRE is awesome for putting it out. MITRE ATT&CK framework, thumbs up, but I don't think it's a framework. I think it's a kill chain database. And what I like to see on the practitioner side, on the good guy side of the fence, is something similar. And I know MITRE's got shield, and, and you know, this is a picture much more small, much more granular, much more tactical. Yeah, I'm, I'm fighting ransomware. What are my the steps I should take to fight ransomware? My CEO read an article in an airline magazine that said ransomware bad, and he's come to me and say ransomware bad, how we not ransomware. And I have to be able to very quickly articulate how we not ransomware. Right here, short and sweet list, short and sweet report, whatever it might be. And so Gary and I are talking about this minimum viable security idea, and this, this you know, I'm calling it unframeworks, where you can literally have a short and sweet punch list to foil ransomware and or be prepared for it and or recover from it. The following, just bam, 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 tactical prescriptive steps must be taken. I'm almost picturing shops running off of that model and a stack of those kinds of propositions rather than saying like, oh, we're going to adhere to ISO or NIST, CSF, or whatever it might be. Um, that's That's been top of mind for me lately is the unframework. See, for for me, it's, it's, it's I'm looking at this from a perspective of, the um beyond the modern workforce mm-hmm. but i'm looking at it from the from the modern accessibility of information and the speed of digital transformation mm-hmm. so one of the things that scares me the most is my supply chain yes and that is a constant battle that i fight with day in and day out it's almost like a tug rope yep right and it's one of those where how much do i want to know how much should i know if mm-hmm. I know it, what's my liability for knowing it? Yep. Could it put me in a perspective where I'm, I'm in trouble because of it? And that kind of puts me in a position where I'm just like, okay, let's start looking at my supply chain and let's start managing it a little different. Mm-hmm. And when I look at my supply chain now, I've started to have to look at it from a perspective very similar to how I classify data. Yep. yep. How do I classify every vendor? And yep. 
you know, kind of taking the CMMC model. Are they a level five, four, three, two, one? Right. Right. And and kind of translate that into how we operate as as a unit, but specifically around the software side. Mm-hmm. See, I'm not mm-hmm. too concerned about identity access management and, and so forth as much as I am with the idea of the software supply chain side where someone could really move laterally through their network into mine and then laterally within my network. Um, and I'd never know it because, mm-hmm. you know, you know, we can talk zero trust and I'm sure someone here will throw out the zero trust. Well, James, if you just use zero trust and I'm like, zero trust has some aspects to it, but, but not everything supply chain to me is still going to be top of mind. Yep. Because yep. I just think that these attacks have been so successful for them that yep. it's only going to get worse. Yep. Omkar Arsaratnam over at Google, he and I uh, have been working on a supply chain solution, essentially. Um, although it's a very slow progress. I've, it was a show we had on, you know, on Cyber Ranch probably, I don't know, like two, three months ago now, and we barely made any headway. But the idea is we have to expand beyond this, the SBOM, the software bill of materials, and we have to get to a point where the supply chain is via API reporting on itself real time to the consumers of that supply chain. And you minimize the impact to the humans of the whole process. In other words, today, look at SIG and SIG Lite and these kinds of things. Even SIG Lite is a bazillion questions. And it's this huge hassle as you, you, as the CISO who's consuming these vendor services have to send this thing out. The vendors have to respond to it. Now you've got to deal with it. You've got to grind through it. You've got to have meetings. You have to have follow-ups. And to your point, now what? Uh, what has it gained you? Um, Right. And so what if we reduce the human piece down to the just the barest bones of what the humans can answer and let the APIs, the actual pipeline of the vendor, automatically be tappable by you and you can get a real-time report on, hey, look, it's digitally signed. Hey, look, it, it ran through, you know, separate dev staging prod. Hey, look, it passed the blah, blah test and the blah, blah queries and, and it's inherited no third-party defects and yada, yada, yada. To, to be able to talk directly via API to your supply chain would be one heck of a boon, I think, for everybody in the industry. Everybody in all industries. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think there's um, we, we still have to deal with the supply chain. And um, Larry brings up a thing probably might be a very real statement. Zero trust does not mean zero risk. Amen. Um, Amen. And, and, and a lot of people use zero trust as kind of being the be all end all kind of like your um, what you just talked about with the, your framework, right? Like the unframework. Like if you yeah. just use zero trust. Zero trust, you'll be fine. Right, right, right. Um, right. At that point, you're and you're like not really because you still have a ton of risk. That's a really great comment, Larry. Yeah, I appreciate you making that because that's a really good point. And uh, CPAT says you still have to deal with uh, regulation compliance, but yes. that's a completely different topic. Yes, um, yes, and it never that, goes that away. Maybe one. More, yeah, that that never goes away. And and regular. See, to me, regulation is by far the. Um, I don't want to say the worst. But regulation to me is um, how secure it's the challenge that we have as CISOs when we talk about security doesn't equal compliance. Right. Um, and compliance doesn't, e- sorry, compliance doesn't equal security. Right. But good security might equal compliance, but we need to be better than compliance. Compliance can't be what we're striving yep. for. Yep. Compliance needs to be part of the process. And yep. oftentimes, you know, when people tell the government should just regulate this or that more. I, I get cringy because I'm like, I don't want those guys regulating anything because I don't think they've gotten anything right to this point. Yeah. No, um, agreed. Agreed. And, it, and, and, and there's a lot of that. So um, we are almost, uh, we've got a few minutes left for today's live stream. So anyone who has any questions, 
can submit those now. We'll take them. You guys have been awesome with comments, but I will say um, we got to do a hat off. We do. Right? I mean, we do. We have to. Uh, I will put my Star Spangled banner, uh, my Star Spangled awesome hat on. Um, I like yours much better, by the way. All I'm right. So this is a Stetson Skyline in chocolate, not black. It's the true, classic, original, definitive, iconic Stetson, handmade in Texas. Uh, this hat can be worn and has been worn to weddings. I'm not so sure yours is a wedding-friendly hat, James. I uh, took this hat to my sister-in-law's wedding in Israel a few months ago. Did um, you? I wanted, wanted to wear it, and I was told that if I show up with this hat, um, I would be escorted uh, off the premises, <laughs> not allowed to attend the wedding. Uh, I, I, this is a loves hat. Bought on a on a on a trip over to Washington D.C. several months mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. Found it at a Love's gas station and decided it was absolutely magnificent, and I was going to get it. Yep, it's a good lake so, hat or a party it, hat. Yeah, it's 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 wonderful. Um, people love it, by the way. Like kids come over here and and so forth, and they just love this hat. You know, it's, it's the beauty of the 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 star spangled awesomeness on it. It, it it's it's got some it's got some pizzazz, that's for sure. It, it does have a lot of pizzazz, and and that's the beauty of our live streams, right? I mean, we we have to find ways to make things uh, uh, interesting. At the end, <laughs> there you go, <laughs> um, folks. I want to thank Alan for coming on today. Um, Alan and I have been trying to do this for quite some time, yeah. Right, um, and um, it's, it's a lot of fun and to be able to just kind of connect and share and take your questions and your comments, um, you know, um, is, is very, it's, it's always a lot of fun to kind of do these. Um, I know that you used to do this on Clubhouse and, yep. and you're not doing it as much anymore, right? Yeah, so, no, Gary and I took a temporary reprieve from Clubhouse. I just, eh, CISO at a startup equals lots and lots and lots of hours running my own podcast, lots and lots and lots of hours. Uh, Clubhouse was just one step over the line. My family basically sat me down and said, we miss you. <laughs> so, family first. Yeah, I, I, I do Clubhouse very early in the morning. So I do the other side of cyber on Clubhouse with JJ and we do that at 7.30 a.m. Yeah. on Mondays and 7 a.m. on Thursdays. Okay. So okay. we do it very Gary's early. West Coast. Um, yeah, it's um, it's it, it's always uh, um, it's, that's always difficult. But uh, I, I loved it. Uh, the few times I was able to attend, Heather says, "What does your wife think of your hat, James?" She's the one that told me to buy it. Just want to let you know, uh, it was her idea all all along. Uh, I blame her, and um, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Um, if she watches this live stream later, I'm sorry, honey. Um, fantastic, great to see you, Alan. That's from Bob. Um, great show from David. Thank you so much. And Larry says, CISO intervention. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Alan, um, doors always open, man. We could do these all the time. Um, cause there's just so much to talk about that an hour is never enough. Nope. Um, never. I always enjoy my conversations with you, man. Me too. Me too. Uh, <laughs> It is still July vote for us. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got my stars and stripes behind me. My star and stripes, I, I, I should I, say. I, I love the stars and stripes. I've I've got a really cool. So we did a fundraiser for Wounded Warrior. Wounded Warrior sent me a bunch of swag, right? 
um, after the fundraiser was over, and one of them is actually right on my desk. It's a it's a beautiful uh, uh, a beautiful kind of like desk protector with the Wounded Warrior logo on it. Mm -hmm. um, just absolutely magnificent. But they sent me a huge Wounded Warrior flag. So once oh, wow. I'm redesigning my studio next year, and I've got a plan to hang that flag, uh, the Wounded Warrior flag there. Beautiful. Um, and and we'll be doing another fundraiser in November for that's Wounded Warrior. That's a great Warrior. cause. So that's a great cause. Yeah, because I'm doing Veteran November again this year. So okay. on Veteran November this year, we're going to be doing a fundraiser all for the entire month of November for uh, Wounded Warrior um, to support our uh, veterans. We'll also be teaming up with a bunch of other veteran organizations. And so it'll be a blast. Um, and this community always turns out. I mean, we raised, I think, nearly three or $4,000 for Wounded Warrior. Right on. So, right on. So that's, that's, that's good stuff that changes lives. All right, Alan, thank you so much, everyone. Have a great weekend. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into today's live stream. Monday, 9 a.m., Practitioner Brief right here. And go check out Alan's podcast, the Cyber Ranch podcast, on your favorite podcast listening platform, right? Yep, everywhere. Go get it. All right, guys, thank you so much. Thank you, Cheers. guys. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.